Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. Travis here. We are recording our 10th episode, which I suppose should mark, I don't know, some kind of celebration. We're an eighth, eighth of the way through the little uh, Black Classics, a Penguin collection of world literature. Uh, we're here. Ryan's here on the other end. We're celebrating the milestone. Just celebrating numero 10. It's as good a number as any to celebrate, sure. The yeah. the DECA. We're doing the DECA. Yep, nice round, even number. Uh, yeah, I, I'll take it. I think, and I can't confirm this, I guess maybe in about a half an hour after our discussion I can confirm it. I don't think Walt Whitman would care much for round numbers. I don't think he needs things to be nice and clean and even. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. He, uh... He seems like the type of dude that would take any number because, uh, you know, numbers are infinite and uh, beautiful. He loves them all. That's right. The, the, yeah, the infinity symbol just comes right back on itself, doesn't it? Nice little loop. Yeah. Uh, if that hasn't tipped it, we are today discussing a poetry collection by Walt Whitman, the, according to the cover, visionary 19th century American poet, which seems to hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, the collection in the, in the classics is called On the Beach at Night Alone. That is the name of one of the poems. The collection, though, is all from Leaves of Grass, which is his very long poetry, kind of epic rambling piece that also includes Song of Myself, which is a, a kind of sub piece of that, which is also quite long. At any rate, they plucked out some of the poems, and we are here to review them. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan, do you want to start with your review? What did you make of their 50-ish pages the of 50-ish, poetry? Yeah. Um, I liked it. I thought it started a little bit slow. I didn't know a lot about uh, Walt Whitman or his work when I opened up the book, but I think it was probably like, I don't know, 10 pages in where... I started to pick certain things out and kind of slow down and reread a couple things. And, um, that's when I, that's when I really started liking, um, I guess it's just his writing in general and, um, some of the themes and I, it just got better as it went on. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I thought it was, uh, well, we'll get to the ratings at the end, but I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. We do. I do that too. I do also want to jump into the rating right away. Let's uh, let's savor it a bit, you know. My my <laughs> review is. I, I do that every time we do this podcast too. I think I f- immediately want to just say, "Yeah, it's this." Let's move on. No, no, no. That's not what we're here to do. Uh, um, yeah, we're not here to change the setup. Now the formula mm-hmm. is is proven. It's working. So that's we'll, right. That's we'll right. Save it. Yeah, we'll save it. My quick review is that Walt Whitman. So it would be, I think, impossible if you were someone who had to go through like college level literature classes that you would never have encountered him. And I probably had to read less of him than most people, but I definitely had read Walt Woon before. Um, And my review for someone who either kind of knows him or has never read him or maybe knows him well is that he is the version of your college friend who did a lot of experimental drugs Maybe too many, 
maybe maybe took it too far sometimes. Uh, but he is the most generous and tolerable version of that person, probably. He is I a person who would unironically talk about connections, be it spiritual or humanist or something of the, that ilk that would be utterly sincere. And he would segue that into a conversation about something else, probably tangential, a different topic, an, uh, you know, a non sequitur or a, you know, just some kind of weird juxtaposition. Yep. Uh, and, you know, Leaves of Grass is that it's his final or his ultimate, I guess, not final, but ultimate thesis of that feeling and that mindset. It's basically his ode to being alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you feel it. Yeah, I I totally I totally agree with with that comparison and that uh, that like mindset you can you can sort of and I don't know if, if if you were the same way but the the title of the collection or the title of the the poem at the end on the beach at night alone that that I don't that like really interested me but then you can sort of visual after after you read the story after you read the collection it's kind of like man, Walt Whitman is the type of dude who would just stand on the beach at night alone and just you know, ponder, ponder it all. Like ponder, and, ve- uh, and very likely did probably many times. A lot. Yeah. You could kind of tell the, the thematic stuff, which we'll get into. There's a, there's a lot on the, on the ocean, on the sea, on the beach. Uh, you could tell that that was kind of his, uh, his sweet spot. Yeah, no, definitely. The the titular poem, which is a pretty short by his standards, the On the Beach at Night Alone, is, I mean, as good a summation of him as you'll get, both in its style and its themes and, mm-hmm. you know, ideas, its, its interests. It has a lot of repetition. His poetry is incredibly repetitive, which I think, if we just want to jump into quotes... Um, that is a style almost barrier, I think, and I'll go over this more in the review too, or in the in the score. But I think it he lulls you to sleep with the re- amount sheer amount of repetition, which is you have to be able to fight that because if you stop paying attention, then I mean, like most poetry or like most any poem, mm-hmm. you have to, every word is just delicately placed. Um, yeah, we, we think we hope. Uh, we assume that on the part of the poet or the reader of the poet. So you just can't let him lull you like that because then you miss things and then you find yourself a stanza later and you didn't really catch much and it just felt like kind of a mumbling thing. I'm definitely the type of reader that will find myself, you know, a paragraph or two ahead and I jump back all the time. And I thought that that's, that's spot on because when I went back and sort of slowed down and was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, I have to go back and reread that little part. You pick something out and every, every little piece of his, his poetry or his stories that is significant. It's pretty deep. It, you know, it's, it's just really well done. So skipping through it, uh, like going, you know, kind of just cascading through it. You miss, you know, it's, it's not worth missing all these little gems uh, because I think his words are pretty carefully placed. I think Cer- that's something certainly he, he very famously was a, a, a strong, I was going to say notorious, but 
a thorough rewriter and he'd put out many editions. He put out many editions of Leaves of Grass even. Um, I'm going to keep saying that. I have to double check and make sure I get it. it is Leaves. I always want to say Blades for some reason. Anyway, yeah. he put out rewrites and edits of that work basically his entire life and never truly you know finished it quote unquote though it was published and long before he passed um Mm -hmm. so it's you you would assume or you could easily assume or fall into this idea while reading it that he you know oh gosh here's another list of 20 things i don't want to think about the connections or why he may have placed them next to each other so instead Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna kind of lull my way through this list and let my brain kind of just shut down and you just you have to fight it if you want to be rewarded obviously you could kind of skim through the poetry and find a couple things of interest but um you gotta have to kind of fight that feeling yeah i i did this i i did this thing with the uh pioneers oh pioneers Uh, i think it's the second story in the collection he repeats the same thing after I don't know I don't think it's a stanza or what what is that like a like a paragraph or like a little section stanza would be yeah that's right oh, nailed it uh I would just stop reading the pioneers of pioneers at the end but then I was thinking if that you know does that lose like the impact then but I found that once I just like s- stuck to the first two parts it it was like reading an entirely different story or a, a poem like just taking out the repetition even though that's really the only story that he does that in where he's just repeating the same phrase over and over again the yeah the pioneers poem is probably his signature one at least from this collection um signature moment signature lines and it is a good reminder that as at least the way I read poetry, I, I just have to force myself to read aloud. I know we went over that in a different podcast. Yeah. That, that poem would benefit from it. I mean, it's, you know, I, as much as most people kind of lightly tease the kind of cafe culture, the read aloud poetry slam culture, I, you know, it, it like most scenes, art scenes has good and bad parts, but it, it is undeniable that you, it, it has to be spoken poetry it's it just doesn't it's not written to be you know read silently in a room though i do enjoy it doing it that way really like i without we didn't talk about that really at all but you should have told me that going in because i i found myself reading parts of this out loud and it it completely changes it you're you're absolutely right i do want to before we move into other quotes um i I do want to give I think I have to start with this one just because in the middle of the collection, he totally cancels our podcast and any future podcast. And frankly, at this point, over a hundred years, 200 years coming up of just scholarship on himself. um, He, of course, in a active self rejection says, I charge you forever to reject those who would expound me for I cannot expound myself I charge that there be no theory or school founded out of me. I charge you to leave all free as I have left all free, which, you know, it's quite a, quite a sentiment and it pretty much perfect. It's, uh, I guess a really twisted fate for him that he is now. So extensively studied. Yeah. He's the iconic American poet and he's not responsible for the transcendentalism movement, but he is the figurehead of that. And so he will be studied as long as American literature is studied, you know, historically speaking. So we apologize right off the top here. 
Number 10 is the last one. It was just until we got to that exact moment, and now, yeah, the podcast is canceled. Walt Whitman has instructed us to cease. Well, maybe just this episode. He would definitely support the other volumes and podcasting about those. But this episode, yeah, maybe we cut it 20 minutes short. Canceled. I never thought a luminary such as himself would have any interest in our podcast, but he, he does, and it's to cancel it. Yeah. And I respect that opinion. I think I have to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I I would think that I've I don't know. That's a that's a tough one to swallow because I feel like he would be so supportive just if it wasn't about his writing. Yeah, he definitely wants deep engagements with humanity. Which, if you can't do that through poetry or art or literature, then I'm not really sure how you could. I mean, yeah. there's other ways, but this is one of the the time honored and proven ways. True. Did you, you, are you bringing back the Pinterest quote of the week? I did not pull one. I did. Uh, it struck me when I read it and, uh, let me see. I think I picked it from page 14 here. Let's see. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, uh, another quick side note. I thought that compare again, I'm jumping ahead here. We'll get into the comparisons later, but, uh, Walt Whitman really knows how to end a poem. Like he really knows how to stick like a really strong final thought or final uh, mm-hmm. sentence in there. And this one, this one stuck out it said through angers, losses, ambition, ignorance. And I don't know how to pronounce this word. Ennui. 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 What you are picks its way. I just wrote Pinterest after that. What you are picks its way. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that Pinterest worthy? It's, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I could just see it, uh, like, well, now we're going to have to start actually pulling these like visual references because I, I don't, I can just see like a little graphic with just like what you are picked. I don't know. Maybe it's like a cross stitch thing. I don't know why I'm, I imagine all of these Pinterest posts as like, uh, like hand stitched, like cross stitched like your grandmother would or something. But that's like what I can see cross stitched into like a, I don't know, like a, well, I'm going to have to find it now. I'm going to have to. Well, to me, the quote concludes with the hope, you know, that I think maybe of a Pinterest uh, board quote, that would be the number one quality you'd want. It ends with the uplift. It ends with the push. Yeah. And that yeah. you can't, you know, it gives you this list of these horrible things, though ambition sneaks this way in there. I think in his mind, he he means like a corrupted kind of ambition, um, mm. you know, to put it in that in leagues with anger, losses, ignorance and UI. So I think that that one sneaks in that way. But yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's a fighting through difficulties quote. I mean, it's classic Pinterest stuff. I just wasn't sure which part of it jumped out. Yeah, uh, no, not the um, angers and losses part, just the uh, what you are picks its way. I thought that was Pinterest, right. Pinterestable, Pinterestable. Oh, yeah. There would be a font change, probably a font color change there with the last line, just to, you know, really bring it home, add a little punch. Yeah, of course. It'd be like a script, not like yeah. a... Yeah. He does. I also chose a quote that concluded a poem. I don't remember the name of it. It was one of the kind of nautic, nautical, uh, ocean-themed ones, and I'll, I'll go pull it in a second. The quote I chose was the conclusion, and it was, it was about... Um, 
a boy or himself or somebody standing in the ocean waves contemplating. He asks the ocean, which he often refers to as a a wife, mother, or mistress, which I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. We'll let Freud handle that one from the grave. Um, But he then says when he's standing in the ocean, the ocean tells him, like the essence or the word essence of life is death. And then the conclusion after he learns that is the word of the sweetest song and all songs, that strong and delicious word, which creeping to my feet, the sea whispered me. Mm. It's a, it's one, it's probably the only thing that struck me as haunting, maybe not defeated, obviously strong, delicious, sweet song cannot be, you know, it's not like the most foreboding thing, but it does. It has an inevitability that is at least a touch sad. He's creeping all along. He's stuck in the ocean. It's a, it's a whisper. It's inevitable. It had at least that little bit, that little gleaming sense of sadness, which was not pretty uncommon in this set. Yeah, I I don't know. I didn't get I didn't get too much like uh, sadness from some of these i thought that was pretty scarce but uh the ocean yeah the thematic stuff with the ocean i thought was some of his like strongest throughout there's there's a ton of good like observations and that was that was one of the good ones that one stuck with me too again the last the last sentence of the of the story i thought that was super powerful it was the the poem was out of the cradle endlessly rocking which is one of uh, that was one i think i had read before another one of the more famous ones then song of myself i know i'd read that yeah this is another it's another poem too now that i open it again that would benefit from a a really vigorous reading aloud just because mm-hmm. there's so many repeated words there's in one of the stanzas he just says the word death five times in a row which i mean with some intonation would be could be a more interesting thing other than you know just to sit there and in your head read the word death five times yeah yeah that has a completely different feeling when you're saying it out loud yeah definitely any other quotes stand out to you i think i have one more that i want to hit um anything else oh man uh not so many quotes in this one but there's there's just a ton of little passages and things like that that i highlighted i always um write all over them but i i mark the bottom of the pages and this this collection has uh probably like 15 different places marked uh, all for different reasons and a lot of a lot of like the uh here i'm just gonna go to the um the first one that i really kind of struck out or uh stuck out to me um i think it was yeah it was myself and mine the first uh the first basically the beginning of that it's like myself and mine gymnastic ever to stand the cold or heat to take good aim with a gun to sail a boat to manage horses to beget superb children to speak readily and clearly to feel at home among common people and to hold our own in terrible positions on land and sea i don't i thought that was just uh like what's more american than that it's like a it's like a rally cry that was like a yeah, pretty fantastic, I thought. Is, oh man, that's a perfect segue. It is a rally cry in a sense. Is the rally cry in 2019 too shrill and too aggressive? This is, I think, 
the only probably the well, I mean the only explicit 2019 connection I've made so far. But mm. there there is patriotism in here. And granted, the, the language he used and the things it was evoking, I actually ended up looking up the poem because it was either called the beautiful pageant or the pageant. I forgot the name of it, but. I had to look up the context of it because it's in this collection. Anyway, it struck me as a bit odd and more, more nationality based and more governmentally based. A lot of his writings about nature and it is about America in an abstract way, but not so much about, Hey, there are other countries and other it's his poetry. So inclusive. Often this was the only poem that was, what was it's odd. I, it requires its own podcast because it is both inclusive, but then also, weirdly fetishizing uh, and i so i guess he wrote it in response to a meiji restoration that was a japanese shogunate Hmm. government and they they did a parade or a celebration in new york city and they asked him to write about it like oh okay because i was i kind of took it as like hey man look at all these mix of like beautiful uh nationalities of people that come and like make new york but also america like so fantastic like look at everything that they bring yeah uh and he talks a lot about i think it like nippon is in like the first sentence and you're like okay we're talking about japan or uh yeah he's like referencing he still calls it the orient i mean it was a long time ago the asiatic continent yeah even even ignoring i mean obviously language usage how we sure. talk, how we use adjectives, how we refer to different cultural groups, ethnic groups, nationality group, like that stuff obviously ebbs and flows. It isn't even the word orient, although that has become its own like sociological theory with exotis, exoticism and everything, but whatever. Yeah. I- ignoring the word, like the messages, I mean, the, the lines I pulled, there's more, but I pulled ones that said the, uh, oops, that was the word one. I'm not going to read that again. Uh, he says, I chant the new empire grander than any before as in a vision. It comes to me. I chant America, the mistress. I chant a greater supremacy, which I, it's hard to, and again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm retrofitting language now onto him, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to see America empire and supremacy in one, you know, a couple set of lines and just not think that is maybe a bit aggressive. Um, yeah. And it's strange because even within the context of the poem itself, again, this would require a, a type of exegesis of this poem in its own podcast, but he could mean the new global empire. He could, I think in part of it is he's just, he's just reveling in what he sees. There are these new cultural interactions. He talks a lot about artifacts and there's, there's the statue and there's a, this God I've never seen or this idol. I've, I don't understand. And there's this new yeah. music I've never heard. And so copious islands beyond beyond. Yeah. Part of it is that. So I, the new empire, I suppose a generous reading could be like, oh, he just means it's globalization in 1860. But it also, that's just not also what the line says. Yeah. Chanting a greater supremacy is a little, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that one was a little out there. So I, I think, and I did, I mean, this was a brief Google I did. I was just curious about the context of it. I guess there is some debate over just how far his nationalism goes. I know he was definitely a big westward expansion. You know, we have a vast continent. Look at this glorious 
open yeah. landscape. Um, and we don't need to recount the American genocide of the Native Americans on this podcast. Not but that, that already that notion is com- very complicated. And yes. how, how effusive he is about the, the globe or the, the earth being for all people and it's all spiritual connection you have to feel at least a little complicated here about just how truthful his message would be or, you know, politically at his time, the implications hmm. it had or didn't have. It's, I, there's, I found this article on JSTOR about this poem, the Broadway pageant and mm-hmm. how that can help us interpret his nationalism. I only read the opening just cause I was like, Oh, I'm curious if other people have read him as such a nationalist. Does this poem sort of makes him seem it seems yeah. complicated anyway i don't know there seems to be some scholarly debate around it yeah i i i would imagine you know i've looking into sort of more about him and the time and what his what his thoughts on yeah nationalism these types of things were i i i guess i'm interested now to kind of dig a little bit deeper on him, but I didn't get the, from, from a lot of his other work in here, I didn't really get that. I guess it did kind of stand out in that way, a Broadway pageant, because, you know, you don't really get any of that really in any of the other stories or poems in this collection. Yeah, it jumped out to me and it just made, it, I, you know, it's not like I'm going to say it, it shades my interpretation of all of his work. I definitely haven't done enough, you know, historical digging to right. say that one way or the other. But in tone and me- and even t- just topic even, uh, tone, he's tonally, he's just always effusively connected, passionate, and just deeply feeling every feeling. Uh, so that doesn't really change. But the, yeah. topically, it just felt like it was the most specific about other countries, regions, places. And um, I mean, the last line of that poem is they shall now also march obediently eastward for your sake, Libertad, which is the word freedom in Spanish. Right. So I, you know, who's marching eastward? I mean, I guess I should reread the stanza. Like, are we, does that mean that freedom is just spreading throughout the globe? And obviously as a, as a philosophical, statement is more freedom bad rarely you know it's usually that's a positive thing but as a political statement i I guess i just you know he wasn't a politician i suppose but it just raised questions and i thought this is the most you know america needs to make things happen statement um the rest was yeah as we discussed more about nature more about you know metaphor yeah human spirit i suppose even though i guess you could argue that that is but yeah i i agree i thought it stuck out in the same way and in 2019 uh i don't think that that part i think would could not be ignored or at least to a reader today wondering about i don't know america's political place in the in the globe wondering about uh, international relations it it is a poem that would have to be thought about, you know, whether you come away feeling better, worse, more gung ho, less gung ho, more patriotic. I, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. obviously up to the reader. I think he though does seem effusively patriotic, like hundred percent. He's he's driving the the pickup truck and he's got the American flag out the back. Like based on that poem, again, I you know. I don't want to yeah. transport him 100% to 2019, but anyway, things yeah. to think about. Yeah, true. Things to ponder. Yeah. 
Uh, let's jump to the author to author section. This is where we take last week's reading and we connect it in any way that we want to to this week's reading. Do you want me to start on this one? You said you had a hard time. Yeah, we yeah we talked a little bit about it before we started. And this one thematically, which I totally agree with what you what you were saying. Like I think there's a continuation here thematically, but why don't you yeah why don't you start us off i my uh supposition my guess as to why you're struggling is because the author author here is written itself this just is the same poetry just translated into whitman's voice right like Like, an american uh an american take to yeah to a degree i think it obviously some of the topics vary and stylistically it's extremely different but again that's how whitman makes it his own with the voice with the imagery, his rep- repetitive style, all of that. But I think it's a thematic co- continuation in a very clear way. And so the answer to how these w- authors would interact is they already are. And, you know, you could draw your own conclusions and compare contrast, but it's pretty much just if you made last week's poetry collection, you just cranked the emotion up to the highest knob, turn it up to 11. Yeah. A lot of feelings. You put the feelings into it, you make it personal and american without you know really jamming the american stuff down your throat but whereas like you know the tang dynasty poets talking about a dude floating down a river observing life while whitman's talking about a guy standing on the eastern east coast sitting on uh sitting on the beach observing life doing his own sort of exploration i guess there's yeah there's i think there's a lot of comparisons thematically between the between the two where it fell apart for me anyway is that there the tang dynasty collection had more i think more explicit melancholy even that line i pulled earlier from whitman doesn't really suggest it isn't really representative because it mostly he is just celebratory and reveling in all connections in every facet of life that he can observe. So I think he, he does lack that. I don't, I don't think the Tang dynasty poets would have nearly as a celebratory attitude or didn't in what we read of them. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where it would fall apart. I, to me, I come away wanting, I want the Tang dynasty now granted time wise that, you know, that's, that's, definitely into the Silk Road and whatever, but there was not a lot of cultural from America didn't exist in the European colonized way at that point. So it's not like we can have that interaction, but I would like uh, the Broadway pageant version, some kind of response to maybe, maybe in this case, based on how it was written, maybe like the Japanese poem equivalent of that is like, what did, when when Japan opened trade with other you know countries, yeah. America, the Dutch, all that stuff, like what would their poem and response be to interacting? You know, I'm sure those that art probably exists, obviously, but that's what I come away thinking, or at least wanting, maybe being curious about the mashup. That's the again something we have not talked about, like a borrowing a certain style or theme and inserting it into last week's or this week's. I think that's a really interesting idea. I feel like we come up with a new segment for this podcast every episode. Yeah, the all well, the author author is in its essence a bit of a mashup. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I would I would also like to see that, and um, I think that's an, like an intriguing intriguing concept. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. I maybe because it's like a collection of poetry against you know someone's 
you know, a single person's work, but yeah, I thought I, I wrote down that, uh, Whitman and Tufu could, you know, these, they could probably hang and, you know, chop it up and talk about nature and, uh, bodies of water and <laughs> things like <laughs> what it all means. And I, things like, that. like I, they could, you know, they could, they could put a, a couple back and probably have some, have some, uh, good discussion there. I don't know if Whitman was much of a musician, but he would bring the loot the next day. There's no question. Yeah. If you listen to last week's episode, that's a yeah dynamite drop in. He would definitely bring the loot. He would, uh, he'd be hanging up on the mountain. They would drink the sweet, sweet nectar and Whitman would show up the next morning as promised with the loot. Yeah. I would hope and assume nice and toasted though. His Wikipedia page did list as a, as a section alcoholism or relationship with alcohol. So I, you know, I don't want to make too many jokes without knowing the history of that man's life and struggles, but right. he, he did strike me as I alluded to at the very intro. He did strike me as a guy who, um, wanted sensory pleasures, you know, whether he found that in drugs or alcohol. Yeah. It struck me as a man who certainly wanted to feel maybe as out of his skin as he could. Yeah, know. he was seeking he was seeking uh things unknown. Uh sensory pleasures, I think is the perfect way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Let's slide into our ratings here. We were chomping at the bit at the beginning. Now we can just do them. I feel like with the asides I went to, I maybe undersold this one. I also have to say, you know, I can read what you rated it. I am disappointed because I really thought this would be our first one, three split. That was my, when I was thinking of what I was going to rate it, that was my hope. But right. we, we come away with a very similar reaction. I am giving it a three. I turned on Walt Whitman in a positive way. I think last year when I finally was rereading parts of Blades of Grass and I didn't love it in college, didn't enjoy it very much. And now I think I can recommend it to anyone with the only, not it's not a caveat, but as a recommendation just to take it slowly and don't let him lull you into thinking that the repetition is meaningless or not even that it's meaningless, just that it makes you a lazier reader. Mm. Yeah, I I could have easily started this one out probably within the first 10 pages if you would have asked me to rate it on the spot it would have easily been a one but I think that as you go on and the slower you sort of take it and find bits and pieces to enjoy I think that there's something for everybody and sometimes you know he even some of my favorite passages were you know his takes on you know, what you believe in, what you stand for, who you are. It's kind of, I thought it was just so well-rounded and balanced that, as, you know, as it, once I finished it, I sort of looked back and checked on my notes, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I think the collection is fantastic. And to any reader who feels drawn towards any sort of poetry collection of essays, those types of things. I think anyone who picks this up and reads 50 pages is going to find something that, you know, resonates with them. Maybe the most telling thing is that I'm listening to our wrap ups. I'm looking back over the quotes, thinking about the discussion. And even now I'm thinking, all I can think is, man, do we even, 
did we even do a good job of like summarizing what his work is like? Did I even, I don't even know if I described what his poet, what reading his poetry is like. And I feel like we talked, we just talked about it for half an hour and I still think it's, I'm wondering like, do, did I pull the right quote or did I That's explain- a really interesting, that's a really interesting take. Cause I'm, I'm like going through and I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, man, there's so much we did not discuss. Like so much of the heady, like, kind of beautiful ethereal big picture like you know you kind of you can float along i don't think we talked about really any of that no it's like we skipped over some of the most crucial themes i think that's a compliment for him and not a critique and insult of our own podcasting ability and analytical skill that's mm. what i'm gonna i'm gonna sit with that for now <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, I'll rest my head on that maybe we have to come back if we listen to this next week and we have to come back and do a uh episode 10 and a half and <laughs> get, dig back into this one we can do that but it's it's an interesting episode to if someone skips the end they're like oh wow they both gave it a three then you go back and re-listen to the episode. It might not have been like a three episode where we were like, you know, drooling over it like we were with the Nietzsche or uh, I forgot any of the other like standout threes, but in its own way and maybe things that we didn't even get to touch on, uh, it's definitely worth it in my opinion. It's a three. Yeah, I think, I mean, we joked in the beginning about wanting to jump to the number review and just get to our rating. Well, that would have changed, changed the podcast, I bet. It, perhaps, but I, I somehow leave still content knowing that I'm saying, go read this. It's a three. It's an unqualified, recommend, strong recommendation. You, yep. whoever, if you're listening to this, you have to go read Walt Whitman. I mean, just by the one, the, all you need is either blades of grass or song of myself, which is a long excerpt from that. And just get a, just get a taste of what his philosophy was and what his view was of the interconnectedness of all things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's the, that's the perfect, you know, recommendation. Read this on a beach alone at night. You'll get it. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to give a preview of what we're doing next week? We got a new book next week. New week, new book. What do we got coming up, Ryan? Number 11 is uh, A Cup of Sake Beneath the Cherry Trees by Kenko. How would you pronounce that? We're going to go with Kenko for now. I am assuming, though, hey, let's. I could be extremely wrong. I'm assuming, based on the title, that this will be haikus. Or I guess haiku might be the plural of haiku. I actually don't know that off the top of my head either. But I'm assuming it's going to be a collection of haiku. A cup of sake is five syllables. Beneath the cherry tree is seven. So, possibly. (laughs) I look forward to counting syllables with you one week from today uh, when we're back on the Brothers Book Club (laughs) podcast. I will have all my fingers out in front of me doing the, you know, the finger counting. I just did that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be great. It's not haikus now. We're you know, that's then we're gonna have to just redo the whole episode. But I think there's only one way for the listeners to find out, and that is to tune in uh, next week. Ryan, yeah. why don't you uh, why don't you take us out of this Walt Whitman episode? Yep, and uh, in that time, we'll see you between the classics. <laughs> <laughs>